Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas, where our goal is to bring you some of the most interesting conversations and stories from across the bike world, while also on occasion going beyond bikes to look at some of the biggest ideas and innovations that might help us take better care of this planet that we all call home. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Bikes and Big Ideas is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. This week, I'm talking with Blister Senior Bike Editor Noah Bodman about new innovations in the mountain bike industry. Noah and I discuss whether these new products, new categories, and current trends represent just another passing fad in the bike world or whether they might actually have some staying power. And then Noah and I talk about some of the standard marketing terminology that's often used in the bike industry and whether that common marketing lingo actually makes sense or is too narrow to speak to a broad enough range of the current mountain biking population and also to potential new mountain bikers. And so here it is, my conversation with Noah Bodman. Noah Bodman, how are you today? I am doing all right. It's kind of a rainy, crappy day, but I'm persevering. Well, I am very happy to be speaking with you. And hey, for the first time on a new platform, welcome to Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks. Good to be here. And really, the purpose for this conversation today is to go over some of the new things happening or old things that are kind of still happening uh, in the bike industry. So let's just go ahead and get right to it. So we recently published your first look and initial impressions on this Gorilla Gravity trail pistol. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this whole modular design thing that Gorilla Gravity has going. Yeah, so it's a really cool idea that they've come up with. The cynic in me says that maybe it was bred out of a cost-saving measure But basically the idea here is that they have one front triangle, one set of chain stays across their entire bike lineup. So they've got four models, uh, at least four full suspension models in their lineup, and you can switch one front triangle and one set of chain stays. You can convert it into any of the other models. So I got the bike set up as a trail pistol, but I can give them, I think it's 445 bucks for a new seat stay and convert that bike into their Smash, which is their longer travel two-niner, or I can switch it into uh, a Mega Trail, which is their longer travel 27.5 bike. Now, of course, if I switch it into a 27.5 bike, then I've got to swap out the wheels. And regardless of which bike I swap it to, I probably need to swap out the rear shock and the fork. But still, the main expense of this bike, the frame, for a relatively modest cost, I can turn it into something completely different. And I can't think of another company that has done anything quite like that. So I think it's a really cool idea. And so maybe it was so that they only have to build one front triangle and that helps keep costs down. But I think the benefits of it are, are pretty clear to the, to the end user. Yeah, and so I guess my that all kind of makes a lot of sense, and it does seem like, look, if this is a good opportunity for us to 
save a little dough or give consumers the ability to switch stuff up a lot less expensively. I guess the big question for me is, in your opinion, not having you know used the modular system yet, do you see any downsides to simply swapping this front triangle? Yeah, I mean, well, one clear downside, I, I'm on the trail pistol. It's their shortest travel bike. It's the 120 mil travel uh, two-niner. And normally I would expect a 120 mil two-niner to be built a little lighter. Uh, so, you know, the frame doesn't need to be as burly as like the 160 mil travel uh, 27.5 bike. There's just, uh, the bike is going to be ridden a bit differently. Uh, but when it's the same front triangle, then the bikes weigh the same, basically. You've got a different rear shock maybe. So there's a little bit of weight savings on the shorter travel bikes there, but but not a whole lot. So uh, the trail pistol is, it's not a crazy heavy bike, but it's not, it's certainly not as light as some of the other less aggressive, less burly 120 mil travel bikes on the market. So that's a downside. I have not looked at the suspension kinematics numbers, like all the leverage ratios and anti-squat numbers and anti-rise numbers. And so there's a possibility that some slight sacrifices were made to kind of make everything fit with one frame. So maybe some of the bikes aren't quite ideal with those numbers, but I don't know. That's total speculation. I haven't looked at the graphs. I haven't looked at the numbers. You know, the question is, was Gorilla Gravity able to tweak their seat stays and linkages enough to make it so that they get the curves and they get the numbers they want across their entire lineup. So I'm not sure about that, but I suspect that that was at least a challenge in designing these bikes. I mean, other than that, I think from what I've seen, being on the trail pistol, which is kind of one end of their spectrum, it's like the short travel to niner end of the spectrum. I think that the bike is pretty sweet. I've got I don't know, six or seven rides on it now, and I'm psyched on it. I think it rides really well. So if sacrifices were made, uh, they're not really showing up as something super obvious to me just yet, other than, like I said, you know, it's it's a little heavier than I would hope for, for uh, a bike like that. But it's also a pretty reasonably priced bike. You know, I said this in my first look, but Gorilla Gravity is making these carbon frames in Colorado. There are very few other brands that are doing carbon frames in the U.S. or even in North America. Uh, so that is unique. The fact that it is also priced pretty nicely. I mean, I think a frame only is 2200 bucks, something like that. And I've got the kind of mid-tier Ride 1 package, which is like a GX Eagle build. And I think the complete bike was 4,400 or 4,500 bucks, something like that. So totally reasonable price for a carbon bike with that build. And the fact that it's built in the U.S., I am not sure how they pulled this off. Well, that's all super interesting. And, and uh, you know, we are going to be looking to get you that conversion so that you can convert your trail pistol into a smash and go ride it around. And um, sounds like you've got an upcoming trip to Europe 
yeah, we're going to go spend a little bit of time riding around the Aosta Valley. And and it seems to me like a, a smash configuration might be just the ticket for that trip. So that's still uh, a little over a month out. But uh, yeah, that's in the works. Hopefully that all comes together because I'd be pretty interested to basically try a trail pistol that all of a sudden has an extra 25 mil travel and, and a big fork on the front. Next topic. I remember in the olden days, by which I mean like, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, when we would talk about, you know, bikes and bike tech and where interesting things were happening among the different bike options, you used to always kind of say like, look, seems like the most interesting stuff is happening in either the DH world or kind of the enduro world. But it seems like there's a fairly strong case to be made now for saying that some of the most interesting things are happening in what we might call this downcountry category of bikes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's this whole sort of geometry reckoning that that took place over the past maybe seven years. And it really started at the longer travel end of things where first DH bikes and then all mountain slash enduro bikes, they all got slacker and lower and longer. And then that geometry kind of trickled down to more trail bikes and sort of everything was looking longer and lower and slacker. But XC bikes were really holding out on that change. And really in the last uh, maybe year, maybe two years, that's starting to shift. And I and so I think those are becoming the interesting bikes to look at. You've got bikes like uh, Yeti's SB100 uh, that came out, oh, that was maybe a year. Yeah, I think it was almost exactly a year ago. It came out last spring. And now some other brands are kind of going in that direction as well. And, and we see rumors about uh, you know, prototypes of new, like a new Trek that's coming out, which we don't know details on it, but I think it's a fairly safe assumption that uh, these new bikes that are coming out are going to be longer and lower and slacker than cross-country bikes have been historically. And the interesting thing here is, well, A, maybe on the cross-country circuit, we'll start seeing some courses that are uh, getting back towards what I would consider to be real mountain biking. And so they actually have like roots and rocks in them. And it's not just it's not just a dirt road circuit that is favoring uh, roadies that are extremely fit and are genetic masterpieces, but maybe do not have the bike handling skills that I would associate with a well-rounded well mountain biker. And so, so that's one thing is like, maybe we get better cross country courses, but then the other thing is like, well, now these cross country bikes are actually something that I would be interested in riding, uh, as someone who really doesn't care about racing and certainly doesn't care about racing against a clock while going uphill, because I've already established in my life that that is not my strong suit, uh, <laughs> But, you know, if, if there's this fun bike with a hundred or, you know, give or take a hundred millimeters of travel, that's actually fun to ride on regular trails, then that's sweet because those things rocket uphill and I'll take all the easiness I can get in that category. So, 
you know, if I can get some 24 pound bike that, that just scoots itself right uphill and is still fun on the way down, then that's a win. And, and I think there's a lot of people that are kind of in that same category that have, have been putting up with slightly longer travel bikes because those had the better suspension and the better geometry and they were more fun to ride, but maybe their trails or maybe their riding style doesn't really warrant having a longer travel bike. So yeah, some of these new shorter travel bikes that are actually fun to ride, they could be, I think, a pretty compelling category. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting going back to the gorilla gravity that we were just talking about, you know, the trail pistol is similar to like an evil following and uh, it's a little bit longer travel, but like a Yeti SB 130. And there's some of these relatively short travel bikes out there that are pretty dang long and quite slack. Like these are the geometry on these things is, is more, uh, you know, I keep saying aggressive and a lot of people kind of hate that term, but it's the easy, it's the easy way to describe the geometry on these things. And these things are like more aggressive than some of the longer travel rigs were just a few years ago. And so there was this big gap where you've got these hundred millimeter travel XC bikes that are short, steep angles, you know, really made just to go uphill. And then just with a little bit more travel, 20 millimeters more travel, not even an inch more travel, they're these really slack, really long bikes that are clearly designed to go downhill effectively, even though they don't have a lot of travel. And so there's this big gap in between those bikes, even though there wasn't that big a difference in terms of travel. And there weren't that many bikes on the market that kind of filled that gap in. And so really, I think that's what we're starting to see is companies have recognized that there's these uh, a, a few sweet 120 mil travel bikes on the market and there needs to be something just below them to fill that niche. So I guess the question is, how nascent is this category? I mean, are we just just at the front or would you say the category is already here? Now we're just clearly going to see more options in that category. Yeah, that I, I think the category is clearly here. There are bikes in this category. Um, like I said, I think the Yeti SB100 is kind of like the definitive down country bike. I don't really like that name for them, but I, it seems to be sticking. So I guess we're going to go with it. There are a couple of, of bikes on the market that kind of fit into that category. And I think we're going to see more of them. And then as with anything, as more and more entrants come into this category, then, then it's going to get refined and the bikes are going to get better. And so I would guess that, you know, three years from now, two, three years from now, there's going to be a bunch of really interesting options and they're going to start getting pretty dialed. Do you think it's safe to assume or fair to assume that as we start seeing more activity and development and options coming on this shorter travel end, a shorter slacker end, do you think that comes at the expense of how much stuff is getting rolled out on the longer travel end or remains to be seen? No, I mean, I think it remains to be seen. I think we're already seeing a bit of a scaling back 
on the longer travel end just because the mid travel bikes like the 140 millimeter travel bikes are doing a lot better these days you know their their geometry has caught up their angles have caught up suspension continues to get better so you know the people that were going for a 160 or 170 mil travel bike five years ago or maybe more on like the 140 mil travel bike these days so i think it's more like the people that were on the 140 travel bike maybe they're going to start looking a little shorter but the guys that still want long travel you know if you live in moab it's not getting any smoother well (laughs) some people might argue that some of the trails are getting smoother but yeah it's still rocky you know people that need long travel still need long travel good suspension and good geometry can only take you so far i think the it will be more evenly distributed over the entirety of travel options if that makes sense let's talk about mullet bikes pairing up a 29 inch wheel on the front end with a 27.5 on the back is this a stupid bike industry novelty or do you think this is something that might actually have some staying power well i don't think it's stupid but i do think it's a novelty maybe novelty isn't quite the right word and i'm not sure fad is quite the right word either but i don't think it has staying power you know we've seen this before this isn't this isn't a new idea uh, to mix wheel sizes. You know, Specialized had the big hit that had a 26-inch front and a 24-inch rear wheel. There was all kinds of 96ers or 69ers, whatever you want to call them. You know, I think Trek and Gary Fisher produced a couple of them that had 29-inch front and a 26-inch rear. So this is basically the the modernization of that idea none of those stuck around but i think this is kind of the recognition well most of the 29 and 27.5 mixed the mullet bikes that we're seeing these days are longer travel bikes so some of them i think these are basically racers that want a 29 inch bike but they race for a team that does not produce a long travel 29 inch bike you know, GT is kind of the team that springs to mind here. So you've got like Martin Mays riding a mullet bike and it doesn't really seem like GT has, maybe they've got some prototypes of two niners, but either way, it's easy enough to slap a 29 inch fork on a bike and turn it into a mullet bike, which seems to be what some of these guys are doing. Uh, but then other bikes uh, like Loic Bruni racing downhill on his prototype specialized demo uh that thing is built around the mullet bike the the bigger front wheel and he's clearly getting along pretty well with it but i do think that this is still just kind of downhill bikes figuring out how to make 29 inch wheels work right uh so uh, well because you know they're figuring out fork offsets uh and you know, figuring out how to kind of balance the the weight distribution. And, you know, it's a different wheel size. They definitely ride differently. So I think this is 
the industry's way of kind of creeping towards a solution. But I think ultimately the solution will probably be 29 inch wheels front and rear. It's just going to take them a little bit to get there. That's my take. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's uh, some World Cup mechanic who's got all the kinematic and, uh, you know, the, the sensor data from when they're running all their suspension tests, who's got something much more interesting to say about this than I do. But I would guess that most of those guys are pretty tight-lipped about that data, at least for the time being. Last topic. I want to talk a bit about marketing in the bike industry. Basically, I guess I want to ask the question or pose the question of why the hell it seems like fast or faster is the predominant selling point or marketing point on new bikes. And I think there there are some parallels to other industries. So in the like running industry, it seems like you cannot read a review of a running shoe that doesn't talk about how quote unquote responsive that shoe is. So it's just like, we're writing marketing copy about a new running shoe. Just figure out if the word responsive comes at the beginning or in the last thing or kind of right in the middle. And I think there are some pet terms that get used, say, in the ski industry in terms of marketing copy, but it still seems slightly strange to me that so much of the marketing copy I see in the bike industry is like, we've made it faster, right? We've made it faster. And like in the ski side of things, when we're talking about not race skis, right? But just like whatever we want to call free ride skis or park skis, whatever skis that normal people actually go ski all around the mountain. There is not this worship of the term fast. Like skis are not all mountain skis are not marketed as like this ski is going to get you down the mountain faster. And yet when it comes to like all mountain bikes, that seems to be the thing that everybody always wants to talk about. And I'm like, look, I don't know if you're not wearing Lycra or you don't have a race bib on your chest, which is, I'd say, most people riding bikes. Where did we get this obsession with like, oh, sick, I can get down my favorite trail slightly faster now? This seems dumb to me, basically, is where I'm going with this and just overly narrow. When there's other elements to be using to talk about a bike, like it is more comfortable or this bike is more playful, you're going to have more fun on the trail. That's what I got. That's my quasi rant slash question. What say you? Well, I mean, to start with, clearly your premise is wrong. Um, not all bike companies, or I wouldn't even say a majority of bike companies, market around speed or fast or faster or whatever. You know, transition, I think, is a good example. You know, they've got their whole party in the woods tagline. And they very much don't take their marketing uh, propaganda all that seriously. And it's clearly pretty tongue in cheek. And it is built around just, yeah, like these bikes are fun. That's the idea. Um, but then, okay, so putting, putting that aside, putting aside, you know, the 50 or 60% of bike companies that are not marketing their bikes as being 
particularly fast or or anything along those lines. You know, I think part of it just comes down to, well, marketing is all bullshit. And so you're just trying to convince people that your product is better. But a lot of the time, the product isn't really any different than it was the year before. You, you know, it's a different color and like there's a 0.2% tweak to the linkage that makes it ever so slightly different. And like, yeah, it doesn't make the bike any faster. Like, you know, half the time the tweaks they're doing, it's it's like a minor durability tweak or they've found some way to manufacture the same bike for a little less money uh, or they're shaving off a little weight or they're trying to make the bike fit whatever new standard the, the rest of the industry has come up with. So they're changing the rear end or they're changing the bottom bracket or they're changing the shock mount or whatever the hell is the industry standard of the moment. You know, I also think you're, so you're comparing it to skiing. I'm bouncing around all over the place here, but you're, you're comparing it to skiing. But the, the trick there is that skiing is kind of a non-linear activity. Like you're, unless you're on a race course, then you're just kind of skiing wherever. There's no, there's no trail really to follow. Whereas bike is, biking is linear in that you are following a trail. And so going down that trail more quickly is, it's quantifiable. Like you can't, like you can Strava a bike ride and it will measure how fast you did whatever segment and you can do it 10 times and it'll measure you 10 times. Skiing, you can't really, stra I mean, you can Strava it, but you can't really make a segment because you go all over the place and you know you turn in a different spot every time unless you're going down a race course that has set gates. So going faster on skis doesn't mean quite the same thing because you're not constrained to a defined path. So with biking, going down a trail, I would argue going down a given trail faster is more fun. You know, I can go down that trail at whatever speed I want, but if I can do it faster and stay in control, then that's more fun than going down the trail slowly, usually. I mean, to some extent, a faster bike is a funner bike. So if you just sort of swap that out, then the companies that are saying our bikes are faster, they're basically saying our bikes are funner, which is poor grammar, but, uh, you know, there's something there. But yeah, ultimately, I mean, I, I wrap around to the fact that there's, I don't know, however many bike brands out there. Let's say there's 50 different bike brands and they're all competing to try to sell you their bike. And like, really, those bikes are not all the same. But of those 50 brands, I would say at least 45 of them, like they're good bikes. There's nothing wrong with those bikes. They're not identical. And one bike is going to be better for a given person than another bike. But most of those bikes, you know, there's not a terrible choice in there. And so how do you differentiate yourself? There's only so many things you can say about a mountain bike to try to sell the damn thing. Um, <laughs> you know, paint it fluorescent or something. And, you know, maybe that gets you somewhere. But the fluorescent fad has already gone by. Now we're into earth tones. And so 
what are they supposed to say? Like our earth tone is earthier than that other brand. That would be amazing that we just, we're going to throw that out there. Anybody, any companies welcome to use that? No charge. Our earth tone is earthier. Just because I'm, I'm kind of hot on the gorilla gravity at the moment. Every single one of their bikes is black. So as long as you want it black, you're in good shape, <laughs> but they change the sticker color and that's it. But that's great. It's like you get black. You want a hot pink bike or like a ecru, whatever that color is. Uh, like fuck off. No, you get black. You get black. Yeah, and, and I mean, I do hear what you're saying, and I guess it is. And it's like, okay, well, these marketing blurbs um, do tend to be short, and so just saying fast can, as you've rightly said, can encompass a number of things, like. If a bike now has geometry that makes it more comfortable, you know, to go through rock gardens faster or things are more compliant or whatever, it's like, cool, that will encourage you to stay off the brakes, whatever. I guess ultimately it funnels down to faster. It just seems lazy to me. And a little bit of like, there seem to be a lot of people who just ultimately are like, look, I'm going to actually stop here or shoot this picture or that's a fun section. I think I'm going to go session that thing. And uh, so it, it has felt very strange to me and kind of overly narrow to just focus on this speed concept. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, presenting a bike as being faster is effective. I would hope that the marketing people at least have some idea of what they can say to to make more people buy their bikes. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's only so many things you can say about a bike. And if the factual answer is we've dumbed down all these things on our bikes so that you idiots can't screw them up and have them be set up terribly, you know, I don't think that's going to be an effective marketing tagline. Um, (laughs) Idiot proof. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, in reality, that's that's what a lot of the changes are. Like, oh, you want super adjustable suspension? Like, no, we're actually going to get rid of that and give you three modes so that you idiots can't twist all the dials into the wrong place and make your bike terrible. We're going to give you three options, all of which are sort of okay. And and you guys are still going to forget about it and leave <laughs> the thing locked out for your descent. <laughs> I think we should also find some way to reward the first bike company that's just that's their that's their primary thing like we built this fork and it's idiot proof so you idiots can't screw it up we'll have a truth in advertising gold star award to whoever wants to jump on that first yeah i'm sure rock shocks is going to jump all over that it's their <laughs> it's the new idiot proof lineup yeah. hey dummy this is for you i mean they made it fairly idiot proof like a decade ago so but we're still leaving our stuff locked out on descent. So, I mean, I this is why I don't use lockouts because I know that I will forget about it and get like a third of the way down the descent and be like, this thing feels like shit. <laughs> like, oh, it's because I can't remember to flip a lever. Well, good recap on the current state of marketing. And uh, God bless all of you fine marketers in the bike industry. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry I called your life's work bullshit. To the market people. <laughs> yeah, there's that. So 
please accept Noah's apology. Good to catch up with you. Um, I should let you get going. But yeah, always fun to uh, come back and have you weigh in on uh, what's going on in the bike land. So appreciate you uh, coming on and I will talk to you very soon. Yeah, sounds good. Take care. All right, catch you later. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Noah Bodman for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. Thanks to you for listening, and we will talk to you again next week.